I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Ukrainian-American poet Nicole Yurkeba, who teaches at Bridgewater College in Virginia. She'll be reading her poetry, which is much influenced by her cultural heritage and by her personal philosophical bent. She is a poet who, like many, is not afraid to write about love and death. Following that, I'll be taking a look at Lawrence Furman Getty's lovely little book, Poetry as Insurgent Art. If any poets are listening who need encouragement to be public and to speak out about what they see in the world, Lawrence Ferlinghetti is a man to provide it. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature poet today is Nicole Yurkava. She's an Ukrainian-American poet who has written a couple of books, one called Backwoods and Backwords, and another, Hollow Bottles. I met her recently at the Bridgewater International Poetry Festival, Bridgewater College, Virginia, where she teaches. And I'm really glad I met her because she's a very interesting poet and person. So, Nicole, welcome to Poetry Spoken Here. Thanks, Charlie. It's great to be with you today. Okay, you know, there at the uh, festival, when you didn't read on the first day, you read on the second or third day, I think. Anyway, when you got up there, I could not help noticing an obvious, very enthusiastic cadre of students there in support of you. <laughs> they were they were delighted to see you up there. Uh, what are you doing? You must be a different kind of teacher somehow. Um, are you? Um, you know, Charlie, they tell me I am. Um, I don't know. I get in the classroom and I'm just kind of myself. I joke with the students. I work with them one-on-one -on -one for every paper assignment. Um, you know, I go to class and we, you know, we do music videos. We eat candy. We talk about writing. We talk about, um, self-identity. And I, I don't know if it's because they just see me and they're like, oh, Professor Yurkeba is herself. And that's what, kind of makes me have this crowd that follows me. Um, I'm not really sure, but you know, they, um, they support me a lot. And like, it's really cool because after like that poetry reading, you know, those students came up and said, oh, Professor Yurkeba, we're so proud of you. Like, we can't believe you're doing this. We're, we're just so proud of you. And I, I find that really kind of amazing because um, with each and every student, I always try to find something about them I'm proud of. And so I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just like a rock star or something, but I don't really consider myself that. <laughs> well, the being yourself is probably a big part of it. And since we're only audio. Yeah, yeah. I, th <laughs> I think so, because I have a lot of students who say, you know, like they write me these letters at the end of the semester as part of their final self-evaluation. And they'll say, you know, you let me be myself. You didn't judge me. Um, I could come talk to you about uh, issues I was having difficulty with and you know I knew you were the one person who was never going to judge me so that's kind of um kind of a special gift I think oh it's fabulous and and um from other things you said it, it seems natural maybe that you're that way because it sounds like you're passing it on because your dad was that way with you 
Is that right? You said he was really yeah, good about very, giving you freedom when you were growing up. Yeah, very, very much so. Like my dad was always just very much like, you know what, Nicole, be yourself. And then one of the most influential teachers I had in high school, well, he was really like the only teacher who ever encouraged me to be myself, you know, and so I think I just try to carry that message forward is just be you, you know, and I think especially this day and age when students encounter like so much intolerance and so much judgment and they don't exactly know where they fit all the time just to have somebody look at them and say, you know what, I don't care what you write about. I just want you to be yourself. I want you to relate yourself to the material we're talking about. I think that makes a huge difference just to have like one person they know is going to be yeah. there and try to understand on some level. Yeah, I find a lot of poets, you know, you read their work and suddenly there's a poem about grandma or somebody who right. is an extremely confirming person in their life. And no matter what else was going on, that just made such a huge difference having the one person. Mm -hmm. how, how about um? How about a poem? Okay, well, you know? since we're talking about um, confirming people, <laughs> yeah. I will actually read the poem from Hollow Bottles that I wrote for the high school teacher I was telling you about. And so um, this is called Nostalgia Via the Cures, A Letter to Elise. You're perched upon the classroom's dusty scarred work tables, lover holding the perfectly tuned ovation acoustic. First period calculus loomed, threatening to forbid your languidly strummed bliss. Only the teacher recalled Robert Smith-like melancholic emotion through your tempered slow strumming. He relived sweaty nights he'd spent skulking English goth clubs circa the 80s, where Doc Martin clad, obsidian cloaked, sorrow-eyed Susies pined without exception for their soul's disintegration. Funny, isn't it? You picked with trembling fingers the song's final few notes wished for 80s era London or Manchester and prayed, prayed, prayed for a sudden lockdown disaster that would banish you to this cave and the guitar to your hands for a few more, just one more, maybe two. Hell, you'd take three hours where someone, yes, someone, an authority figure at that understood black nail polish and gray eyeshadows penned metaphors. Whoa, <laughs> music's a big influence on you. Is yeah, it not? yeah, I know that because you get, she, Nicole gave me a wonderful list of uh, bands that I know very little about, which I greatly appreciate. <laughs> Always like to learn new things. And um, <laughs> how did that? Which, 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 number one, I have to compliment that fantastic spray of sounds there around around the word obsidian i can't Thank especially you. around the word obsidian there's a couple of lines there that just just could you read them again oh uh, sure would it, would it hard um, to do? just right before and a little bit past there's about two or three lines there i think that i just went whoa uh, i can feel those sounds i'll just read that whole stanza again oh, great great only the teacher recalled Robert Smith-like melancholic emotion through your tempered, slow strumming. 
He relived sweaty nights he'd spent skulking English goth clubs circa the 80s where Doc Martin-clad, obsidian-cloaked, sorrow-eyed imitation Susies pined without exception for their soul's disintegration. Oh, I think that's fabulous. There's so many resonant sounds there. It's Thanks. more than just the S's. You know, there, there's a hard C sound in there. And it's just, do you go back and work sound consciously or are you just, your brain is just good to you and pours it out? Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just, that's the way the words come to me. And then other times, you know, I think I drafted this poem six or seven times. And I was trying to play with sound a little bit because I wanted kind of like that almost hissing sounds and the hard C's. Um, but sometimes it's very unconscious. But, you know, with this being a reflection on music, I wanted the poem to be kind of musical in itself, as well as the words to be sort of lyrical. Because when you listen to like The Cure, they have these just very poignant and thought-provoking lyrics and um, they play a lot with word sounds and things like that so it it was just you know a matter of toying and seeing what words fit where what sounds you know fit the piece yeah well i think it really works and, and the, the sounds just really are noticeable in, in the right kind of in the good way <laughs> you know not distracting but noticeable and they go with it because because there's so much music in the in the content of what is being said mm -hmm. and then there's music in the way you're saying it yeah well how about another one yeah That's and it's a, it's, really, a, it's yeah. a great song <laughs> yeah <laughs> how, about, how about another poem this is this is very cool okay um i'll actually i'll read this poem it's called labor pains and um so i got into punk rock i got into goth rock when i was a teenager just because it seemed um, like a place where I fit. And actually my friends and I got together, we decided we wanted to have this band that we knew wasn't going anywhere, but it was just kind of um, an outlet for our artistic and musical expression. And so kind of the way I really got focused on writing and um, expressing myself was I started penning song lyrics. And so this next poem is just kind of going back to that reflection about oh this is where it started you know um this is how i i got interested in not just music not just subculture um not just finding myself and wanting to live in a world where i could freely express myself but also just tapping writing so this is called labor pains Two and a half decades too late for 1977's glory glorious outbursts do you remember how the opening guitar riffs of the clashes I Fought the Law sent audio orgasms into our ear canals? We were black leather clad, bandolier adorned, plaid skirt wearing, combat boot fitted 17 year old misfits huddled over a set of tinny Sony headphones in a backwoods high school's cramped girls bathroom. And we swooned over Joe Strummer's London callings which beckoned us to dream of some dark alley dive where our black on white anarchy patches, God save the queen scrawled wristbands, stabbed with silver studs and bent safety pins weren't conspicuous. Some clove cigarette choked hole where our fish netted virgin bodies meshed, mashed, 
sweated, moshed to rock the casbah and train in vain. But the closest we ever came to CBGB's or London's black leather mohawked hovels were my bedroom's confines, where after school we hooked lengthy amplifier cords to cheap Yamaha six strings and tiny speakers, and we strummed maniacal three chord teenage wasteland hymns until our fingers cried blood and our Betty Page style bangs clung to our sweaty foreheads. Oh yeah, I love it. I really get the picture. <laughs> I really get three, three chords in an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the picture's very vivid. The, the way you're all dressed and that sort of thing. It's great. Yeah, your very own garage. You started off in your own garage band, essentially, though it was your bedroom band. But yeah, and we were right; we weren't going anywhere. But you weren't disappointed. No, no, we were just, you know, and that was the thing is like we were just happy to be like three or four girls, you know, writing silly songs, and you know, we we were kind of being ourselves and music and poetry and art just gave us that outlet. And, um, you know, I don't think enough teenagers realize, you know, cause they live in kind of this conformist society. That's what high school is. And they don't realize like, Oh, it's okay not to be part of the crowd. And if I want to express myself through art and poetry, Hey, that's cool. Like that's what I should be doing if that's what I feel most comfortable doing. So, yeah. Do you, but speaking about that, that's kind of that kind of flashes me on your teaching again. Do you have any particular uh, assignments that are a little bit different or something that you could like share with people? That's like an interesting idea of something or other you came upon that you use in the classroom. I don't, oh I don't yeah, so yeah. Um, I do. I do a lot of unique activities um, with my students. Like for example. Um, I have an entire folder of like pictures clipped from National Geographic or from calendars or from um, just any type of magazine that has really decent photographs. And so I have them take the photograph and they start to write a story about the photograph. And mm -hmm. so I let them write for five minutes. And then what I do is I have... Um, at least three pieces of music that are different genres and they're typically about um three or four minutes long and so what i have the students do is um i'll play the song and for the three or four minutes that that song is playing they have to set the mood and tone of their story according to the mood or tone of the music so you know we can go from like this blazing techno music that's kind of happy and jovial to this very dark uh, classical music, you know, like Prokofiev and yeah. uh, Beethoven to just like this soft, loving indie rock. And they love it. Like they, they completely just have a grand time with it. And some of the stories they come up with are just absolutely brilliant. You know, they pretend like they're an otter floating on a river who encounters like um you know, harsh rapids and then things, you know, the rapids ease and they're peaceful and blissful and eating fish. And, you know, so they, they just kind of take things and make them their own. And then I do another um, activity. It's almost like a golden shovel, except um, they take a line from their favorite song and they pick and choose words that they like from 
their favorite song's first line or whatever. And those are the words that they have to use as the beginning of the lines in their poem. And, you know, sometimes what I have them do is I'll say, okay, now find your favorite photograph and fuse the two together. So you're going to use the line from the favorite song, and then you're going to have some reflection about your favorite photograph. And th they turn out brilliant work most of the time because it's personal and they like, they like that. And you're always, you're always pushing uh, juxtapositions and connections. Like yeah, yeah, the, definitely. You know, really, um, very cool. They, yeah, they really enjoy that. I mean, I show them a video of the the Teletubbies that's negated. It's it's in black and white, and it's set to a Joy Division song when we talk about juxtaposition, and they love it because, you know, they associate that with, like, childhood and happiness, and then it's set in black and white to this very depressing Joy Division song, and they're like, oh, wow, you know, that's making us push buttons. So, you know, they they eat that up <laughs> they ought to it's it's fun and and while they're learning i mean it's fun and whoever said that's two things that don't go together i think i think you talked about that yourself did you mention that you were homeschooled at what we're at the conference uh, no i wasn't or? yeah i wasn't homeschooled um but my father did a lot of like education at home he always figured i would learn more at home than I did um, in school and mostly because he worked one-on-one -on -one with me. I could read by the time I was three. So, you know, I was, I was this five-year-old kid and I was reading um, the encyclopedia and he was always taking me to museums and he and my mother had a cabin in the woods. So they would take me out of school for two weeks in October and we would basically spend two weeks living in nature where I learned more, um, more about nature and animals and respect for nature and the environment than I ever learned in my whole K through 12 career. So yeah, in, in some ways, I guess you could call that homeschooling. <laughs> okay. That, yeah, I picked up on it. it. It sounds like homeschooling and the, the important stuff you got, you got that way. And that's what happens with, with homeschooled people. You know, you, you learn more from being out there two weeks every fall uh, than school is ever going to, tell you about unfortunately and maybe there's no way right. an institution like that can match going out there and having the experience right yeah and it's it's good that they had the good sense to not worry about missing school for two weeks school sometimes acts like if you miss a day your whole intellectual development for your life will be ruined you know and that's of course silly well and and that's something i try to do with my students is you know we go outside and you know, I have them write about the tree that's in front of them. And then, you know, we talk about, you know, how can we relate to the tree? <laughs> you know, or they, they walk around campus and they write down um, words associated with the images they see or the sounds they hear and they have to craft that into a poem. So I try to bring a lot of that hands on, um, especially like in terms of nature, I try to bring that to a lot of the students because unfortunately some of them don't get that they they don't they don't have um the connection with a teacher who actually cares a lot of the time and then they don't have a teacher who's actually going to say okay let's turn this on our on its head and think about it so yeah i was recently reading a book about bark now that you reminded me 
because I was trying to find the names of trees that have that really thick bark that you can put your almost put your hand into. And it's just it's just interesting to go out and look at those things, I think. So uh let's let's have another poem. I want to be sure people can okay. nice sampling of your poetry. So I'll do this since we're talking about nature. Nature is a really important aspect of my writing. Um, I've always had the utmost respect for Emerson and Thoreau and um, you know all of those transcendentalist writers um, who you know really took it took a step back and said, okay, let's reflect on what's in front of us. Let's reflect on our role in it. So I wrote this poem actually for my boyfriend um, because we have this fascination with just different aspects of history and Pompeii is one of those. And so we had been discussing Pompeii and I was searching for photographs from Pompeii and I found like this couple encased in ash yeah and i said oh how romantic <laughs> you know your love is sealed <laughs> so this is called eternal through open windows the raven's voices loom and web glinting sunshine over our sleep slackened bodies resting amongst crumpled cotton in afternoons fading in the aftermath only quiet exhalations revealed by slowed post-love breathing intertwine with the raven's infiltrating call. A breeze's gentle shh, cooling, lightly laced sweat worked lovestakingly from our pores. Vesuvius's rebirthing spews ash to earth's four corners silencing the raven's cry and pouring through the open windows. We burn in our bed as we always have to be found centuries later by humanity's remainders who hypothesize, theorize our origins, our intentions, yet never separate our remains from the ashes grip. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen seen many people may have seen that photo uh, that you're talking about. That's it is an amazing, mm -hmm. amazing thing. It's nice that you're speaking for them. Yeah, yeah, it's very captivating, but just very thought provoking. I mean, to think that two people were just lying in bed, and you you wonder like, did they know what was happening, or you know, was it kind of like um when you read Brian Doyle's Leap? And he talks about 9-11 and the people jumping hand in hand from yeah. buildings. Like, did they do it consciously or was it just a human reaction of we really don't want to die alone? So, you know, and, and kind of just thinking about like here were these mothers and their children or these couples who were just encased in ash for all the world to see centuries later. It's It's just, it's amazing and it's, kind of awing and at the same time it's kind of obviously sad because these people died but you know that's part of life too <laughs> yeah you are um by the way i didn't actually ask you, you want to say anything about the the importance of the fact that you're uh ukrainian background 
Uh, yeah, so like that in that influences my poetry a lot. I grew up in um, a very ethnic Ukrainian town in Pennsylvania. Um, it was always kind of emphasized like, you know, okay, Nicole, you're Ukrainian. You know, there are certain things in life you do because you're Ukrainian and, you know, very entrenched in tradition. Um, and, you know, that influenced my poetry because in Ukrainian culture, like there's this blend of Slavic paganism with Christianity. So there's a lot of deep thought um, that goes into the images that are portrayed in our embroidery and our art. You know, the raven is prominent in Ukrainian culture because it means you're on the path to good fortune. Um, owls are symbols of blessings, you know, um, the color black and red is prominent because black represents not only the earth soil, but also death. Red is prominent because it means life and fire. Um, and you'll see them combined together because we acknowledge in our culture that the two walk hand in hand. Um, and I, that plays in a lot in my poetry a lot. Like people will say to me, oh, your poetry is so dark and gloomy. You know, it's only natural that you're like a goth. And I'm like, well, you know, I also accept that there's a natural cycle. Um, and in Ukrainian art and Ukrainian tradition, you know, we reflect on that a lot. It sounds like an acceptance of, of death, rather like uh, the Day of the Dead kind of idea in the background of the culture. For yes. People from Mexico. Very much so. Very much so. Like, and, and there's a respect for it. Like, you know, it's just part of life. And when it happens, you respect it and you accept it. And, you know, you don't like it, obviously, when a loved one dies. But, you know, again, it's just the circle of life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we have time to do one more poem, if you would. And that'll just about okay. wrap us up. Great. I'd like to hear another one. All right, so we'll we'll end on a happy note. <laughs> oh, okay. And I I remember you um and Michael Zarnecki telling me the next day after you heard this poem, oh, we went and listened to him, which is the one band I mentioned. Um and him, for those people who don't know, they're a band who does Finnish love metal. And they have these like almost droning, melancholic, um, yet poetic lyrics. And so this poem is called Lover's Response to Hymns When Love and Death Embrace. It is time, yes, wear your red clothes. Love is waiting behind the sky. There you go. Yes, we did go listen to him. And uh, we were among those who the, we were uncool about enough to not have heard about him before, <laughs> even though they're massively popular. I know that now. Well, I'm Charlie Rossiter. You are listening to Poetry Spoken here. And we've just been hearing our featured poet, Nicole. I'm so glad you could do this. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's been a, it's been a blast. Thank you. spoken here. We've just heard from Ukrainian-American poet Nicole Yurkeba. And now, given the happenings in the United States with the United States' new 45th president, it seemed a good time to look at a lovely little book by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. 
called Poetry as Insurgent Art. Ferlinghetti has long been an outspoken poet. He's 98 years old, the founder of City Lights Books in San Francisco and City Lights the Publisher. The basic message in this new in this book, Poetry as Insurgent Art, is that poets have an important role to play in society at large and that they should be speaking out. The book includes his two populist manifestos, which were published back in the 1970s, as well as a new 30-page poem, Poetry as Insurgent Art. His theme is pretty well stated in the opening lines of the first populist manifesto. Poets, come out of your closets. Open your windows. Open your doors. You've been holed up too long in your closed worlds. Come down. Come down from your Russian hills and telegraph hills, your beacon hills and your chapel hills, down from your foothills and mountains. Come out of your teepees and domes. A call for the poet to not be sequestered away in his little study, writing his precious little poems, but rather being involved with what's going on in society and having something to say about it. Here are some words from the new poem. Poetry as Insurgent Art. This is the opening line, so we do the first couple of pages. I am signaling you through the flames. The North Pole is not where it used to be. Manifest destiny is no longer manifest. Civilization self-destructs. Nemesis is knocking at the door. What are poets for in such an age? What is the use of poetry? The state of the world calls out for poetry to save it. If you would be a poet, create works capable of answering the challenge of apocalyptic times, even if this means sounding apocalyptic. Your Whitman, your Poe, your Mark Twain, your Emily Dickinson and Edna St. Vincent Millay, your Neruda and Mayakovsky and Pasolini, and you're an American or a non-American, and you can conquer the conquerors with words. If you would be a poet, Write living newspapers, be a reporter from outer space, filing dispatches to the more supreme managing editor believes who believes in full disclosure and has a low tolerance for bullshit. If you will be a poet, experiment with all manners of poetics, erotic, broken grammars, ecstatic religions, heathen outpouring, speaking in tongues, bombast public speech, automatic scribbling, surrealist sensings, streams of consciousness, found sounds, rants, and raves to create your own limbic, your own underlying voice, your er voice. If you call yourself a poet, don't just sit there. Poetry is not a sedentary occupation, not a take-your-seat practice. Stand up and let them have it. This book was published by City Lights, in 2007. It's a beautiful little hardbound edition and uh, is still available. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Monley. 
And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.